we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We come to 2 Samuel chapter number 2 this morning. And uh, if you're just joining us, we're in the life of David. Uh, David, uh, of course, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, served his generation and uh, according to the will of God. And so from his life, we're taking that theme, David served his generation. Uh, we've been following David beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16 from the time that this unknown boy who was unknown to the nation of Israel but was known to God was anointed as king. What a surprising turn that must have been uh, for Samuel the prophet when the Lord sent him to the house of Jesse and uh, to anoint this boy as the king. Of course, David burst on the scene with his victory over Goliath. Uh, when the men of Israel would not dare fight him, uh, David went boldly down in the valley of Elah in the name of the Lord and took a sling and uh, smote Goliath to the ground. He took the sword of Goliath and uh, severed his head from his body, and Israel won a great victory. From there, David, of course, uh, became a well-beloved leader in uh, the nation of Israel serving Saul. But it wouldn't be long before Saul... Uh, became jealous of David and began to uh, pursue David, trying to kill him. David had spent now, by the time we get to 2 Samuel 2, many years uh, on the run from Saul. Saul was a king that was disobedient to the word of God, who was rejected by the Lord because of his rejection of the word of God. And now David had been chosen. Saul knew it. He resisted it. He fought against it. Uh, but he did not prevail. Ultimately, he died. And David, as we saw in the previous 11 verses of chapter number 2 here in Second Samuel, uh, David was sent by the Lord to Hebron, where he was anointed by the men of Judah to be the king of Israel. And uh, we find, though, that Abner, who was uh, one of Saul's servants, the captain of Saul's army, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and anointed him as king. And the men of Israel, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom as we uh, will come to know it as we continue to study our Bible, those ten northern tribes, uh, they rejected uh, the house of David and embraced, continuing to embrace the house of Saul. And so we saw last week a kingdom in conflict. We saw the rising king, the Lord Jesus is pictured there. David, of course, is the king we're speaking of. David speaks historically to us, but he also speaks prophetically of a greater kingdom. That's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. As we sang a moment ago, our God is victorious. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will prevail against our God. And uh, we praise him for it. So David was that rising king, and then he, he was the king who, who sent the messengers out. He was a reassuring king. He sent messengers out to those subjects of Saul uh, with the, the message of reconciliation. 
And the ministry of the church is to carry the message of Christ uh, to a lost and dying world, which is at enmity with God. And our message is the message of reconciliation. And then we saw that there was a rival king, Ishbosheth. You see, the devil always has a king that he wants to put in place, ultimately himself, hoping to draw the hearts of men away from the true king. And uh, Abner then and Ishbosheth represent the rival king. So there are two houses as we look at chapter 2, and we note here that chapter 2 speaks to us about the kingdom in conflict. The kingdom in conflict. We've been singing about that conflict this morning. And the kingdom is divided between those who are loyal to the house of Saul, as I mentioned, the northern tribes of Israel, the men of Israel. There were 10 tribes in all that pledged their loyalty to Saul. And then the one tribe that pledged its loyalty uh, to David, who embraced the house of David, was the tribe of Judah. So this is the backdrop that we come to as we arrive here in verse number 12 this morning, and I invite your attention there. Verse number 12, the Bible says, And Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon, and Joab the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, so they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is in Gibeon. There was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Azahel. And Azahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. And Azahel pursued after Abner, and in going he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Azahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Azahel would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Azahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with a hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Azahel fell down and died stood still. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner. And the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Ammah that lieth before Gia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood up on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere thou bidst the people return from following their brethren? And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou hast spoken, 
Surely then in the morning the people had gone up, every one from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain and passed over Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. And Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Azahel. But the servants of David had smitten Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that 303 score men died. And they took up Azahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. I'd like for you to note that phrase we find in chapter 3 and verse 1. The house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. The house of David waxed stronger and stronger. That means it grew stronger. And while the house of David grew stronger, the house of Saul grew weaker. Uh, many times over the past number of years that I've been here as your pastor, I pointed out to you that there is a growing hostility in our nation against the Lord and against his truth. Uh, we may ask ourselves, why is that so? I believe the reason is clear. America has turned its back on God. Like Saul, who rejected the word of the Lord, America has turned its back on God. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And we are reaping the consequences as a nation of that rejection of the word of God and his truth. Those who reject him, though, seem uh, not to be satisfied with their rejection, but they desire to reproach his name and to ridicule his name and his word and all those who follow him. As the psalmist said, the heathen rage in the people imagine a vain thing. There is a conflict, just as there was a conflict in this chapter of two houses, there is a conflict of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And you and I are living in it every day. We are caught up in the crossfire. But those of us who know the Lord, not only are caught up in the crossfire, we're in the Lord's army. We are his servants. We are his soldiers. And sometimes we get weary in this battle, and we may ask this question, why does it have to be so difficult, and how long will it last? Asaph wrote in Psalm 74 and verse 10, O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? You find yourself listening to what's happening, reading about it, watching it on the news, and wondering why in the world does God allow this mess to continue? I think we've all been there. 
The psalmist wrote in Psalm 94 and verse number three, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? It seems like they're winning, doesn't it? Imagine you are one of the servants of David. You have one tribe, <laughs> that's Judah. The servants of Saul, they had 10 tribes. They had 10 votes to your one. Their army was 10 times bigger than yours. How long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? Have you noticed, surely you've noticed, how vile and how hate-filled and how contemptful the speech in our nation is? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. It gets weary. It gets old. It wears you down. And then we come to the Lord's house and we sing songs like we've sung this morning and we're reminded of the truth. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Aren't you glad to know he's still in charge? This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Nothing ever can. Nothing ever will. Overcome the Lord our God. Our God is victorious. You see, as we come to this passage, we, we're reading about a king, King David. He was the anointed king of Israel, anointed in 1 Samuel 16 uh, by the hand of Samuel as the Lord had commanded him, anointed here in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel and verse 4 by the men of Judah. But though he was anointed, he was not accepted. Ten tribes rejected him. I want you to know that our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the anointed of his father, anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. The question is, have you accepted him? There are many in our world who have not. And thus we live in the midst of a kingdom that it is, is in conflict. And while some support the house of Saul, and let me, let me just help you understand what that means to us today. It speaks of all that man can accomplish apart from God. The house of Saul, it encompasses our political world. It encompasses our economic world and our social world. It encompasses all of what this world has to offer. There are those who pledge their allegiance to the house of Saul, and there are those who pledge their allegiance to the house of David. And Christ, the anointed one, is waiting the time of his return, and when he returns, he will come, and he will claim the throne of David. But until then, we, his servants, will declare his message, that message of reconciliation. We declare it throughout the world. And as we declare it, there are those who hear it and who receive it. They accept the anointed king. And there are others who reject him. And in the midst of this time, 
there is a time of conflict. And may God help us to be strong in the conflict. Now, I want to give you three reasons as we look at this text, three reasons that you should embrace the Lord's anointed. Three reasons that you should accept Jesus as your king. Three reasons that you should depart from the house of Saul and find your place in the house of David, his son, Jesus Christ. Because the house of Saul is waxing weaker and weaker. Maybe you can sing as we sang just a moment ago, Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find, he has granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. Well, let's look at those reasons together. First of all, as we think about Saul's house, three reasons we should leave it. The house of Saul is a house of defiance. Defiance, a house of rebellion. A house that is fighting a battle that it cannot win. A house that is waging war against God. You see, Abner and the men of Israel had rejected the house of David. Why? They were holding tightly to the house of Saul. Now, remember what the men of Israel said to Samuel when they asked for a king? They said, give us a king like all the other nations. Now, Samuel was burdened about that, and the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, understand this. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their leader. Israel as a nation ultimately had rejected God as their king. And they chose to have a king like all the nations. So Saul represents all that man and humanity can do at its best apart from God. And if you've studied John 15, you know the answer to that. Without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Without the Lord, we in this world can do nothing. But the men of Saul, they held tightly to the house of Saul. Perhaps it's all they knew. We think it is. And you think about Abner. He was the captain of Saul's army. No doubt he feared losing his place. He feared the fact that if he went over to David's kingdom, he would no longer be a captain. He would no longer have the benefits that he had at that moment. But what he didn't realize is that there was a greater place available to him in David than he would have ever had in Saul. And I want you to know that God has greater things for you in Christ than the world could ever offer you. But see, this house of Saul was a house of defiance. He, he was in rejection and resistance of God. Now, the two things we note here in these verses, first of all, a convention. Look at it in verse 12. And Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon and Joab the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. There is in the town of Gibeon, if you look it up, uh, there is a, a cistern, a, a rather large pool there where water was kept and these men had come together. Uh, and they'd come to Gibeon, which was in the midst of the house of Saul. 
Perhaps an invitation was extended. We're not really told what the purpose of this convention was, but we imagine there was a discussion that's taking place because one group is on one side of the pool and the other group is on the far side. But apparently no agreement could be made. Let me just say this to you. There is no room for compromise and cooperation with those who reject Jesus. None. And by the way, the reason is there, that not only is, is the fact is that Jesus is exclusively the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only way of salvation. But this group who rejects him, they want total control and will stop at nothing to get it. So there was convention, and then that convention became conflict. Look in verse 14. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. Perhaps he's frustrated because there's no, there's no agreement taking place, so he challenges them. And that challenge leads to a conflict. Foolish words from Abner. Let the young men now arise and play. The, the picture is, let's, let's have a game. Let's have a contest. Let's have a little skirmish. And Joab said, you got it? Look at verse 15. Then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught everyone his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore, the place was called Helkath Hazurim. That simply means the field of the swords, which is in Gibeon. <coughs> So because of the provoking and foolish words of Abner, this conflict takes place. And these 12 men from both sides, total of 24, they're engaged in a skirmish and they grab one another and get each other in a headlock and take their sword and they stab one another in the side and all 24 of them fall down dead. The end result is tragic. And nothing is accomplished. You see, this is a defiant house. The Bible teaches that in our flesh, in our natural condition, we are enmity against God. We are rebels against God. Our flesh, our sinfulness, uh, we desire not to submit to God, but to resist him. This house of defiance is a reason that we should surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to the king to accept him as our Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that today, I want to encourage you to do it. The second thing we note here, another reason that we should leave the house of Saul is because it is a house of defeat. You can't win in Saul's house because you can't overthrow God. You can't defeat the Lord. The old song I used to hear on the radio when I was a kid, I fought the law and the law won. It always does. You fight the Lord and the Lord will always win. It was a house of defeat. You see, there is no victory in the house of Saul, none whatsoever. Now we see here that David's men prevailed. Look at verse 17. Out of this skirmish, <clears throat> obviously there was an escalation of the conflict and everyone got involved. 
Verse 17, and there was a very sore battle that day and Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. I think it's really interesting to note here that David's army, which is made up of one tribe, the tribe of Judah, is stronger than Saul's, which is made up of 10 tribes. You see, I, I get the feeling sometimes when I hear the news and I read the reports and I look at all that's happening in our world in a political realm, I think, well, you know what? They got more votes than we do. They've got more power than earthly power, it would seem, than we do. It seems like the devil's crowd, Saul's house, is growing and growing and growing, and David's house is just small. But note who was stronger. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will. Overcome the Lord our God. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God. Oh, listen, we have a power the world has no, has no, uh, uh, has no knowledge of. It is the power of God. You see, we are his messengers and we are to declare his message. And though the world hates his message, though the world desires to, to eradicate and, and remove it and, and to censor his message, to cancel it in this culture, I want you to be encouraged this morning that the house of David waxed stronger and stronger. David's men prevailed. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. David's men prevailed. Then we see secondly that David's men pursued. <laughs> what happens to the house of Saul? They go on a retreat. They're running now away in defeat. Remember, it's a house of defeat. This house of defiance cannot stand. It becomes a house of defeat. Look at verse 18. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Azahel. And Azahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. Now we note here these sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah is David's sister. And she has three sons, Joab and Abishai and Azahel. So these are David's nephews. And Joab is the captain of David's army. And as we go through the life of David, we find that Joab is a man who's on the right side, but he's got the wrong spirit. And he really becomes a thorn in David's side. In fact, all of the sons of Zeruiah will become a thorn in David's side because they all have the right position, but they got the wrong spirit. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians today who are on the right side, but they have the wrong spirit. They're more interested in killing Abner than converting him. They're the people who carry the signs to the protests and have the awful slogans on them. You're going to burn in hell. And and that may be true if they reject Jesus, but that's not the message we deliver to them. 
You see, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, they said, Lord, we, 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 we see that the Samaritans have rejected you, so uh, why don't you allow us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? That's what they deserve. I mean, we're in the house of Christ and they're in the house of Satan, and so let's burn them up. Well, here's what Jesus said to them. Luke chapter 9, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I'm glad Jesus didn't come to destroy me. I'm glad he came to save me. I deserve destruction because I was defiant. And I was defeated. Jesus did not pursue me in order to kill me. He pursued me in order to convert me. Now here we see Azahel, he's, he's running after. Back in our text, 2 Samuel He's running after Abner, verse 19. And Azahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Azahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to the right hand or to thy left and lay thee hold on one of the young men and take thee his armor. But Azahel would not turn aside from the following of him. And Abner said again to Azahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with a hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him and he fell down there and died. Now Abner's looking back and here's Azahel pursuing the Bible said he was as light a foot as a wild roe. That means he could run like a deer. I mean, he's going to win a foot race. I'm sure he had a lot of ribbons at home, maybe some medals, maybe a few trophies. He was the champion, quick as a cat, pursuing after him, going in his own strength, going on his own mission. You see, there are many times when we as Christians go in our own strength and we go at our own bidding, not at the Lord's but our own. We take up our own cause and not his. You see, Azahel is determined that he's going to slay Abner, but that's not his role. You see, Abner is the captain of the army. Joab is the captain. Abner, the captain of Saul's army. Joab, the captain of David's army. There's a certain decorum that ought to be followed, and uh, Abner knew that if he were to smite Azahel and kill him, the, the, the younger brother of Joab, that Joab would never forgive him, and that is exactly what happened. Because Azahel went on in his stubbornness. Though Abner told him many times, hey, look, go somewhere else, fight somebody else, don't fight me. If I kill you, your brother's going to be really upset. But Azahel wouldn't hear the counsel. And so Abner took his spear, the hinder end, and he just moved it backwards 
as he was being apprehended by Azahel, and Azahel ran headlong into the spear, and it smote him, and he died. I want to tell you, Christian, pride will get you in trouble. Remember, you can have the right position and the wrong spirit. And many Christians have damaged the cause of Christ with that proud attitude. May God help us to humble ourselves. May God help us to understand that he's not interested in killing. He's interested in converting. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We come to the third reason, and that is that the house of Saul is a house of despair. It's a house of defiance. It will not submit. It's an ultimate rebellion against God. It's a house of defeat that has no way to overcome the power of God. And it is a house of despair that has rejected God and is left with no hope. You see, there's no hope in our world apart from Jesus. He's the only hope. You see, there's only two houses you can run to today. The house of Christ, the house of David, or the house of Saul, the house of Satan. Look at verse 25. The children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop. So here this retreating army somehow collects themselves together and stood on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be in bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? Here's what we find out by the time we come to the end of the chapter. 360 of Abner's men have died that day. 360. David's men, counting Azahel, 20. 20 of David's men perished. 360 of Abner's men perished. Abner thinks about what he said at the beginning of the day. About his remark about let the young men rise and play. That pr provocation, that became an escalation that turned into all of this death and destruction. And he calls out, really he knows he's in need of mercy. He calls out in verse 26, shall the sword devour forever? Here's the guy who initiated the sword. Knowest thou not that it shall be bitterness in the latter end? Now who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Joab and he's killed Joab's brother. He said, Joab, this isn't going to end well. You see, he's had time to think about it. And here's what he's left with at the end of the day, dwelling in the house of Saul. He's left with sorrow and regret. Do you know what this world brings people? Sorrow and regret. Ask yourself this question. What has man accomplished throughout human history. Look at where we are today. The theory of evolution that tells us that we will continually evolve until we 
arrive at some utopian society where we can all live in harmony and peace. Well, man has not been to accomplish that yet. What can he accomplish apart from Christ? Nothing. You see, with all of our political ideologies, our economic plans, our social programs, our educational institutions, and our technological advancements. We've gotten nowhere. We're like the woman with the issue of blood. Been many physicians. All these different political systems, all these different world religions, all of these different economic systems. None the better, but rather grew worse. All this social indoctrination and programming all the educational institution and, and uh, curriculum that you could imagine and were none the better, but have rather grown worse. That's what we find in Saul's house. It is a house of despair. How's modern day America when it comes to hatred, when it comes to violence, when it comes to oppression? when it comes to death and disease, are we any better? No, we're worse. You see, the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. That's where this world is leading to, weakness and death. John Woodhouse in his commentary says, if this day had taught anything, it was that the best men of action from both sides only made matters worse. They were not wise enough or perhaps good enough or strong enough to solve the problem. What hope was left? Bethlehem. Who comes from Bethlehem? Jesus. What hope do we have today? It's in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning. You've heard about the king, but you've never accepted him. I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to turn from the house of Saul and come to the house of David, David's son, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who paid the payment for your sin when He suffered and bled and died on the cross. He arose victorious from the grave and He gives life to all who receive Him. I want you to know that you have a place in His house. He is the door. No man comes into the Father but by him. If you've never come into the house, why don't you come today? Would you be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been in defiance of you. I know that I'm on a road that leads to defeat and despair. But today, I acknowledge and I accept you as my king. If you'll do that today, you'll come into his house where there are blessings forevermore. And then let me just say a word to you, Christian friend. 
You say, well, I've acknowledged the king as my savior, but let me ask you, have you accepted him as your sovereign? I'm amazed at how many people profess to be Christians but have their life is in no way consistent with the kingdom. Maybe today God by his spirit is bringing you to a point of conviction. to Say, Lord, I'm not in charge of my life, but you are. And I want to submit to your lordship today. I want you to be the sovereign of my life, in my relationships, in my business, in my employment, in my attitude, in all that I do in my finances, I want you to rule. And then let me ask you this, Christian friend. Are you willing to continue to faithfully serve him in the conflict? I think many get weary in the battle. Imagine now the men of Judah walked that all through the night and they returned home and they found out 20 of their men had been killed. Don't you think they were discouraged don't you think they were disheartened and sad to see it? And I think sometimes we lose our, 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 our heart to fight, to serve the Lord, because this is a dreadful hour in which we live, a dreadful hour of conflict. But the Bible tells us that our strength is in the Lord. The Bible assures us of our victory. And so may God help us not to quit in the battle, but to stand firm and stand true to Jesus. The house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.